All right, let's go and get started. I think our teenagers are getting together for Youth Village. If y'all want to join uh, Brandon, you can in Youth Village, or you can stick around with me in here. Uh, love, love, uh, love, love to have you in here, but uh, you don't, you don't have to. There they go. They're like, okay, an opportunity. Like I'm trying not to take it personal. My kids uh, always are looking for an opportunity. Uh, to not have to listen to me teach, uh, listen to their dad, and I'm like, it's like a giant hug. My wife and uh, son aren't here t- today because somebody offered our uh, offered me Dallas Cowboy tickets last week to go to the game today, and I'm like, heck yeah, that's going to be awesome. So I tell my wife, I'm like, hey, after worship, we're going to run up to the Cowboy Stadium. You and me, it'll be great. And then uh, she's like, but then we could stay the night, right? And I'm like, no, 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 we'll just drive right back. She's like, well, I don't want to do that. Why don't you take Tucker? I go, okay, I don't care who goes. Tucker, you want to come to my son Tucker? I'm like, hey, we're going to go. And by the time it came time to make the decision, my son and my wife are the ones at the Cowboy game today, and I'm not going at all. And so last night, I'm just like, how did this happen? Somebody gave me tickets, and I'm not going at all. Uh, but I will be at the, uh, the men's gathering today. And so, yeah, just like James said, y'all come hang out with us, cheer on the Cowboys. Matthew chapter 5 is where we are, please. Turn to page 32 in your Bible or uh, go to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we want to dig into God's Word this morning. Uh, I, I'm guessing if you're on social media at all uh, today, then you likely get exposed to you know, influencers about how to work out. Like if you just follow these six tips on working out or fashion tips on beauty uh, or stocks. You know, There's all these influencers that are out there today and, and you just need to know like no, no matter how you come across these influencers, it's all rooted in self-help-ism, right? Our country especially is very, very excited about self-help tips on, on life. And it goes back into the 1800s. And you got people like Dale Carnegie's uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, The Power of Positive Thinking, right? Norman Pill, that one's a really popular one. And even current books like Roxy Nafusi, Seven Steps to Living Your Best Life. In just seven steps, you could have your best life, right? That's very popular. Jordan Peterson is extremely popular. He has a book called 12 Rules for a Better Life. Right? These are all principles on how to live uh, the best life possible. And if you just implement these tips like you too could could have all the things you you want and it's it's possible that the passage we're looking at this morning could get kind of lumped into self-helpism it's it's called the sermon on the mount matthew chapter 5 we're going to begin the the first 12 verses of that this morning and there's phrases even if you've never read matthew chapter 5 there's phrases from the sermon on the mount that are in our culture today like turn the other cheek let your yes be yes Word is bond, for those of you who listen to Wu-Tang Clan. Eye for an eye. These are all phrases that are in our language today. They sound really common, but you need to know the passage we're looking at this morning is anything but common. These are powerful words uh, that we're going to get to study. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I'll read. You follow along. When Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, all right, Matthew chapters 1 to 3, we studied that. It's like the, uh, the verification of Jesus, right? His genealogy, his birth, John the Baptist proclaiming, 
preparing the way, right? That's his verification. And then chapter 4, we see the validation. Jesus overcomes the temptation. He calls the disciples to follow him, right? So then in chapter 5, Jesus is gathering the disciples. A crowd of people are watching from afar. And like Moses of old, Jesus is describing what life looks like practically in his kingdom, right? His kingdom on earth. It's a spiritual kingdom. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 calls out the kingdom of God is at hand. In chapter 4, Jesus cries out, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then now in chapter 5, we're getting practical details. The kingdom of God, heaven on earth. And it's possible that doesn't resonate when you hear kingdom, right? Because we have a democracy. You're not used to kings and queens. But at its base level, this is Jesus inviting all people to live under his reign and his rule so that our passage this morning is what does that look like practically? Look at verse 3. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. When you see that word blessed in verse 3, it means uh, to be a people who have received God's favor. That we're blessed to be invited to live in his kingdom. Remember, Jesus is speaking to a people that are, are just completely discouraged, right? The first century Jewish man or woman, they're living under Roman rule, a foreign power their spiritual leaders have led them astray and so jesus is speaking to a people who are exhausted by life says you're blessed you've been invited to live in his kingdom so that we see the first characteristic to be poor in spirit think about that underline that in your bible or in your devotional what does it mean to be poor in spirit Poor in spirit. Sometimes people use that phrase poor in spirit to be the reason why we are to help people. We are. We are to help people. We are to serve others. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. When you see that phrase poor in spirit, it means that when we're in his kingdom, that we are people who are spiritually needy. That's, That's interesting to think about. We're in his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and he's describing us as poor in spirit, right? This would have been absurd. Remember, for the first century Jewish man or woman, right, to think of themselves as being needy, spiritually needy, like, what are you talking about? They're, they're the chosen people of God. They're, they're children of Abraham. And Jesus is clarifying as he's describing his kingdom, his spiritual realm on earth, as it is in heaven. And he says, look, when you're in my kingdom, you don't boast about your ethnicity. You don't boast about your education. You don't boast about your financial standing, right? Because you're, you're spiritually poor. You're needy. You're needy for his glory and his kingdom. So that as we today in 2023, as followers of Jesus, as we gather as the body of Christ, right, we don't look down on people because of their financial standing. We're not impressed with people because of their titles or influencers they are in our culture. We don't mock people because of their, their political uh, persuasion 
or their sports team that they cheer for, right? That we're all been leveled on the same playing field as people who are needy for Christ. We're in his kingdom. We're, we're poor in spirit. That's our, our first characteristic in verse 3. He goes to verse 4. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In verse 4, sometimes people will take verse 4 as, a, as an application you know, for a setting at a funeral. We're to mourn and grieve at funerals. Right. But this is God in the flesh speaking about his kingdom on earth. And so as to clarify, it's like when you're in my kingdom, we grieve. Think about that. In the United States, we're not very comfortable with grieving as a culture. You know, 30 minutes max. (laughs) And then move on. You're not over that yet? Right? We don't want to think about it. But what Jesus is teaching us is that when you're in his kingdom, we're going to grieve because the world that we see, that's not the world that he created. Does that make sense? If you go to Genesis 1 and 2, he created the world to be perfect. He says, let us make man in our image. Jesus is there. And, and he created the world to be perfect. It says that Adam and Eve are naked and unafraid. Like, imagine, what? Like, no concerns, no insecurities, no fears. Like, everything is good, everything is perfect. And then Genesis 3 enters the equation so that everything breaks down in our sin so that from Genesis 3 to 2023, we see a world that's broken. All right, when you look at your timeline on social media and you see people hurting one another and mocking one another and fighting one another and wars and conflicts that we can grieve. Like, it's not supposed to be like that. We don't want to just scroll and be like, yep, there's another horrible event. That's what, that's not normal. That's what what verse 4 is teaching. He's my kingdom. It's not normal for the world to be broken. We're going to grieve that. It's not normal to see marriages falling apart and spouses hating one another and children neglected and and people celebrating abortion. Like, no matter where you stand politically on abortion, it's not normal to celebrate abortion. It's not normal to celebrate how people are being treated as they cross into our country at our border and, 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 and the poverty and the suffering and the pain. We don't want it to be like, yep, there's another conflict. Like, no, that's, that's, we, we lament, we grieve. He says, in my kingdom, we grieve that. It's not the way it was supposed to be. Even on a personal level, when we see our character flaws, when we see our anger, our jealousy, our greed, we don't, we don't just make excuses and be like, well, I had a tough day at the office, and so now that means I get to spew hatred all over you. Like, no, that's not right. We see pornography on the Internet. We don't just say, well, that's, that's how some people make money, and if they sell their body for sex, that's just normal. No, no, that's what he's saying. Like, we, we grieve those things. We lament those things. That's why in verse 4 he says, for they shall be comforted. Because it's, it's God's word saying that, that the world's not always going to be 
broken. <laughs> right? that's, our, that's our comfort, that this isn't going to be broken for eternity. That's why Jesus has come. It's why the kingdom of heaven is drawn near, that he takes our brokenness, that Jesus lives a perfect life, that he takes our brokenness, that he does what, what Adam and Eve couldn't do and, and, and takes it to the cross and he conquers it in the resurrection as a promise, like, hey, that, that life's not always going to be like this, that one day all things will be made new. And so, yes, right now we grieve, but one day we will rejoice, right? There will be comfort. And he's teaching us this is how we navigate life in his kingdom. Look at verse 5, he keeps going. He says, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Some translations use the word meek, uh, which means that as we are in his kingdom, the kingdom is now. We're not waiting to get to heaven. Heaven has come to earth. And so there's gentleness for we who are in Christ. Right? Because if our life's if our lives were rooted in pain and insecurity and jealousy and greed and, and fear and doubt, well, then there wouldn't be any gentleness, right? That's why we would spew hatred on one another. But if we're under his reign and under his rule, there's, there's peace. Our lives are rooted in him. Does that make sense that there's a gentleness? Not because we're introverts or we're quiet or we're soft-spoken, we're gentle with one another because we're living under his reign. He's in control. It's the illustration of one kingdom where the king is off to battle and its citizens are waiting to hear. How did it go? Was our king victorious? Is the enemy approaching? They would live under fear and anxiety and wondering what was going to happen compared to his kingdom well, in his kingdom, Jesus is ruling on the throne. The enemy has been defeated so that the people, the citizens, are living under his reign with peace. Does that make sense? So there's a gentleness in his kingdom. Look at verse 6 as he keeps going. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Some of this language is abstract, so lean in with me. Like, you know those times when you're hungry, you're thirsty, like, you, like oh, I gotta get some food, you know? Get that Taco Bell, Nacho Bell Grande. Like, just, it's like I gotta eat, right? You're, you, you go and you satisfy that hunger pain. But then there's times where we're not able to satisfy that hunger pain. Right, maybe because of our financial strain, and so we're just not able to eat like we want, or maybe we're camping and we don't have access to food, or we're traveling and there's no... You ever been in those types of places where you're just like, I want to eat and there's no food? Like, I don't know, I'm just going to be hungry. That's what verse 6 is describing, that we're in his kingdom and our souls hunger and thirst for his righteousness because we know like we can't drum up his righteousness on our own does that make sense we're hungering for his righteousness right we're we're poor in spirit we know we can't drum it up we're grieving that there's a lack of righteousness in all of creation and so we're we're hungering for 
his righteousness. So in verse 6, it's teaching us that someone, that righteousness, it's not going to come from within. We're not going to do that on our own. Someone from the outside has to come and give us his righteousness. That's what it's like to live in his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, that we are daily in need of his righteousness. We're poor in spirit. We hunger for Jesus. Not just on Sunday mornings at 1030, but like every day we are desperate for Jesus, right? Even if you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, like maybe you're here just to be nice, right? Just be, just to be polite. You said you would come and so you came. You're here, right? But you need to know that even if you don't believe in Jesus, your soul hungers and thirsts for his righteousness. Like every time you see injustice in the world and you're bothered by that, every time you see somebody at the corner begging for money or for, for provisions and you're bothered by that, that's your soul hungering for righteousness. Does that make sense? Like every time you're frustrated that life didn't work out the way you wanted Every time you're frustrated that you're not perfect, right, that you messed up again, that's because deep down at the soul level, you know life is supposed to be perfect. Even if you don't know, you know that you were created. That's why you have that longing, Genesis 1 and 2. You were created for life to be perfect. That's why you're frustrated that life isn't perfect. Why would you think life is supposed to be perfect? It's because of Genesis 1 and 2. He says, you're hungering for that. And so in verse 6, Jesus has come. He says, in my kingdom, I'll give you my righteousness. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the gospel, right, that, that, that he hears us longing for his righteousness, right? And he comes and he gives it as a gift that every time we're frustrated, every time we see our imperfections, every time we're trying to organize life just the right way and we fall short, that's the soul longing for the gospel just to be poured out upon us in his righteousness. He comes. He gives it as a gift. That's the good news of Jesus. And isn't life in his kingdom so good? It's so good. We forget it's a spiritual kingdom. We forget it. I forget it. I Sometimes I think my king's out to battle. Let's see what happens. I don't know. And I'm layered with anxiety and fear. And God's words reminding me, like, no, no, no. In Christ, you're in his kingdom. Look at verse 7. He keeps going. He says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I mean, first, if we're not careful, the... Verse 7 sounds conditional, doesn't it? Like if you show mercy, then God will show you mercy, like an if-then. But that would be misunderstanding God's word, and we know that because that would contradict all of God's word. Um, and so first, let's just break it down first. The word mercy means to have compassion that leads to action, right? Right? It isn't just sending out love to the world. That's not mercy. It isn't just, oh, I love you. <laughs> I love everyone. <laughs> no, it is compassion that leads to action, right? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. 
that, that Jesus sees all of humanity hurting, all of humanity is in need, all of humanity is layered in this brokenness, and he doesn't just stay up in heaven going, love you, <laughs> wish I could do something for you. No, it's compassion that leads to action. He steps out of the heavens. That's the incarnation. He, 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 he draws near to humanity. He lives a perfect life and he takes our hurt. He takes our brokenness upon himself and invites us through faith in Jesus to live in his kingdom, right? to, to receive his mercy. And so that's that's what verse 7 is talking about. about you, in his kingdom, for a people who have received his mercy, how could you not extend mercy to other people? Does that make sense? Right? N- none of us can look at the person on the corner or the person next to us in worship and say in our hearts, you don't deserve God's mercy. Right? You need to work harder for God's mercy. We don't deserve God's mercy. We, we could never work for God's mercy. He's come to pour out his mercy. And so he's saying in verse 7, is like, in his kingdom, if his mercy has been poured out onto you, how could you not pour out his mercy onto others? Does that make sense? Look at verse 80. keeps going. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, when you see that phrase, pure in heart, it could sound like if I get enough of a heart that's pure, I could see God. But that's impossible. (laughs) It's impossible, so let's just break it down. I mean, the word heart, it's the mind, body, and soul of a person. It's the whole person. And that word pure means to be made clean. It's to be spiritually pure. It's to be blameless. It's to be without any guilt. And, and, and so the question we should ask when we read verse 8 is like, how's that possible? How could we possibly get a pure heart to see God? Like it's, it's impossible for humans to do that on our own. I remember my wife, she's a licensed professional counselor, and when she was going through school to get her master's, the professor was... Uh, doing a lesson of an exercise about a married couple and then asking the students, what would you say to this married couple? And one student raises their hand and and they said, well, I, I would tell the husband that he needs to have a change of heart towards his wife. And the professor just about lost it and and said, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Because this is at a state school. It's not a biblical school. and And he said, how in the world could you as a counselor possibly help somebody change their heart? Right? He said to the student, he said, you're going to have a hard enough time as a counselor trying to understand their family background. We are not in the business of changing hearts, right? Because we can't. We can't change hearts. Maybe that's new information. Like that's not, you're not going to be able to make your heart Pure, no matter how many books you read, how many classes, how many things you do to help other people. We might have thought that, you know, in the, in the past, we might, with the age of enlightenment, we got very optimistic during uh, human history at the age of enlightenment that we were going to make the world a better place. Right? You know your history. 
We came to the United States, a new country, better education, better government, better laws. We're going to do it, right? We're going to make the world a better place and heal the world for the entire human race. There's a world we feel in. Michael Jackson, 1992. We were very optimistic in the 1990s about what we could do with humanity, right? With just a better education. And, and then, you know, like 2016 happened. And like President Trump. And you started to see the worst parts of humanity come out. Uh, just like, what happened? And we all kind of told ourselves, well, that's just because of Trump. Like, that's not real humanity. It's just Trump that's making people do those things. And then President Biden, it got worse, right? We saw race relationships go down. We saw the pandemic. And like, we cut off family members if we didn't line up in the right order around the pandemic, right? And then you see Israel and Palestine, like, I'm pretty sure we're going backwards in humanity. Like, nobody's under the impression that we're making the world a better place, right? We need new hearts. I mean, that's what you should ask. You get to verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. We should be like, how? It's great that corporations are getting involved in social justice. <laughs> it's great. Yes, improve the government, improve laws, improve politicians. yes. That's not going to give us new hearts. We should be asking, how? How? How does a person get new hearts? Well, John the Baptist told us in Matthew chapter 3. He said, repent. He said, the kingdom of God has come. Repent. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 4. Repent. He says, the kingdom of heaven has come near Repent, the word repent means to turn. That all of humanity, from Genesis chapter 3, right, created to be perfect, Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the story so that humanity turns from God. That's what we've been doing from Genesis 3 to 2023. Humanity wants to do what we want, when we want. We want to do what is right in our own eyes. So that repent is to turn from doing what's right in our own eyes and to follow Jesus. It's called repentance. It's to turn emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. Say, I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm not going to trust what I think is right. Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust in your life, death, and resurrection. What Jesus is teaching is that the moment we do, the moment we repent, we enter into his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The moment we do, we are made pure. We are made righteous. We are made clean. We are in his kingdom. It's not like sometimes you're out of his kingdom and sometimes you're in his kingdom. No, 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 no. If you're in Christ, you're in his kingdom. When you're on 6th Street, you're in his kingdom. When you're at worship on Sunday morning, you're in his kingdom. And so he's inviting us in Matthew chapter 5, come and enter into his kingdom. If that's never happened, if you've never done that, do that this morning. Trust in Jesus. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and enter into his kingdom. You can talk to people at the back after worship. There'll be people there to pray for you. You can come talk to me. But do that. Do that today. No life in his kingdom. If you're in his kingdom now, then learn more about how to live in his kingdom every day because verses 9, 10, and 11, 
it's going to bring reality into it. Look at verses 9, 10, and 11. That's why we want to learn what it's like to be in his kingdom. Verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. That's Jesus. Like I wanted to package verses 9, 10, and 11 together because verse 9 is nice. We're peacemakers. That's nice. We're going to live in his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, yeah, under his reign of peace. We're going to speak peace. We're going to, we're going to sleep in peace. We're going to walk in peace. That sounds beautiful. And then verses 10 and 11 are like, what? You see it? You see the contrast? You see the tension? He says, you're in, you're in my kingdom. You're under my reign. You need to know one thing. <laughs> There's going to be persecution. There's going to be insults. There's going to be false accusations. You just need to know that on the front end. These are Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 5. It's not 2023 when things are getting rough. It's, it's from the very beginning. He says, look, this is my reign, my rule. You need to know on the front end there's going to be persecution. It's not persecution because you're driving down Mopac and you cut somebody off and they persecute you because of that. No. That's because you're a bad driver. That's why you're being persecuted. It's not, it's not because you're a jerk on Facebook and you're posting memes and people get upset and you'd be like, well, Jesus said I'd be persecuted. No, you're just being a jerk. That's not what he's talking about. It's talking about when you follow Jesus, you need to know people aren't going to love you. The world is going to go against you. If you're not seeing persecution, then it's possible you're not in his kingdom. He says, if you follow me, you're going to get insults. This fits in perfect line with what we're talking about in our church family this year with embolden. All right, that's our focus. You see it in the foyer, that we want to be emboldened in our faith, encouraged as followers of Jesus. We don't want to shrink back because they're making fun of Christians in movies and on media. Okay, make fun of us. Like, you're a follower of Jesus. You're in school, people are going to make fun of you. It's okay. If you're at work, you might miss out on a promotion. As soon as people know you're a follower of Jesus, there's going to be tension. There's no way, you're not going to be able to straddle the fence. Be like, well, I'm trying to be a cool Christian. No. As soon as you tell people that you believe somebody resurrected from the dead, that's not going to be cool. That's weird. Embrace it. Embrace it. If you're a little hesitant, if it's just like, oh, well, you know, the, the Bible and sexuality, it's such a hotly debated item and men and women and how the Bible talks about men and women. It's hotly debated and I don't want to step on toes. Step on toes. There's no way around it. Like there's much more crazy things than biblical sexuality and men and women in the Bible. It's Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That alone sets you apart as anybody that's normal. And so just embrace it. Just embrace it. Like, yeah, I believe that. And it might affect your job. It might affect promotions. It might affect family members. 
social circles, then let it influence that. Because Jesus is trying to tell us with sincerity of heart. It's like, when you follow me, you live under my king, my reign. It's amazing. But there's going to be persecution. There's no way to get around that. That's why we're doing this theological training right now. You see these packets on the floor, like, please take one home with you. Like, to live under his reign and his rule, it's a spiritual kingdom. It's easy to miss that. It's easy to forget that. Like, this theological training, we're going to take five books, five months, one book a month, you read it, you write about it, you talk about it, and it's to help us become rooted in Christ, to be grounded in our faith, to have a better understanding of what it means to live in his kingdom. Please, don't just rely on Sunday morning. I mean, I I teach for maybe 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. If you take out my jokes, my intro, my conclusion, you're looking at about 15 minutes of teaching God's word. That's not enough. I mean, can you imagine trying to do anything in life that you did for 15 minutes? Learn a language, learn an instrument. I don't know why I can't play the piano. I spent 15 minutes on it. Like, yeah. Like, theological training, it's a, it's a level of commitment that will help you get some truth in you so that we, we thrive in his kingdom, living in his kingdom. Look at verse 12 as he finishes. He says, rejoice. I like that. I like that contrast. 10 and 11, persecution. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's as though Jesus knows we're going to get to verses 10 and 11 and be like, wait a minute, what? And then he reminds us, oh yeah, rejoice. It's, It's good. You're under his reign. You're in his kingdom. Like I can't imagine I can't imagine not being in his kingdom. I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years. I, I didn't grow up uh, around church or Bible or Jesus. I had a friend share the gospel with me, changed my life. And then that's not to imply that my life has suddenly been easy the last 30 years. I, I've had challenges. Like some of those challenges I brought on myself. I've had challenges in marriage, right? Where my wife and I have looked at each other like, dear God, why did we become married? Like, this may be the two worst people to get married. Like, I've had, I've had challenges. My kids have had medical problems that we didn't know what was wrong with them. Uh, I've, I've experienced loss. My father died of alcoholism. My mom from schizophrenia and Alzheimer's. My brother died in 2022. I've had challenges. I've been persecuted. I've been mocked. People in the community, I've had people in the community in Austin say things about me, falsely accuse me, things that aren't true. I've had challenges. And I assure you, life in his kingdom is better. I've had challenges outside of his kingdom, and I've had challenges inside his kingdom. And challenges in his kingdom are better. And so with that in mind, I mean, just let's lower the lights and let's invite the worship team to the front. And I just want to invite everybody here 
I mean, to think about what it looks like for you practically to enter into his kingdom. Please be sure that these are not characteristics of what you have to accomplish so that you can get into his kingdom. The key to entering his kingdom is repentance. It's to turn to Jesus. It's to trust in him. If you've yet to do that, do that right now. Like, stop listening to me and just start talking to Jesus and say, I believe. I believe that Jesus, you lived a perfect life, that you took my sin at the cross, that you conquered it in the resurrection, that you gave me your righteousness, that it is a gift. Believe in that today. There'll be people at the back to pray with you, to pray for you. Like, make that decision today. If you are in his kingdom, then take a note right now what's hindering you from remembering that you're under his reign and his rule. What's distracting you? Are there conversations in your life that need to be had? Then have those conversations. Are there changes to your calendar that need to be made? Then make those changes. Are there prayers? Is there confession that needs to take place? Then make those decisions to be reminded every day, throughout the day. The battle has been won. The enemy has been defeated. The chains have been broken. You're under his reign. You're under his rule. It is for eternity. Jesus, we trust you with that. We thank you. For that, I pray for every man, woman, and child in this room that you would help open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to what it's like to live under your reign. Heaven is not a place we're just waiting for one day. Heaven is today. Heaven on earth is today. We trust you for that. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.